Hey, Marcus. Yo. You like movies? Yes, I do. Kind of sometimes. I feel like that's sort of just the the life that we're living right now. I mean, I feel that to be a fan of movies right now, I think we're in a time of great change, not necessarily for the better. Mm. And mm. with streaming and the pandemic and movie theater accessibility it's changing what it's like to be a cinema fan and sometimes that can be frustrating very because if you if you just have one streaming service you're missing out on a bunch of movies yeah if you don't live in a city that has art theaters or you have limited releases you're not getting to see what you want and i would argue that a lot of a lot of movies there's there's great movies being made. I haven't really seen them, but I know that they're being made. Right. But a lot of movies suck. I was yeah. I was I was texting you the other day that Triangle of Sadness, Glass Onion, and uh the menu are like basically the same movie. They really are, and it, it, yeah, it was crazy you said that, because I actually never, I didn't, co- you know, I don't know, for those listening and, you know, making correlations between movies, that's my thing, man, but I didn't even think about those three movies to get, which I saw, um, until Scott, yeah, he had texted me, we'd had an interesting conversation offline, which I'm sure a lot of that is going to bleed into this episode, but yeah, and, and I, I, you know, I took it a step further, and I do feel like, and one of the main movies we're going to talk about today applies to this also, is that now more than ever, it does feel like, this isn't super new, but it's still fairly new, that movies, I feel like, are being made for, like, Twitter people, or, like, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram people, or just internet people. Right. And I'm not going to say fake people, because these people exist, but it's just, like, they're catering to, like, checklists. And to some degree, Glass Onion, which, I'm not going to say it sucked, I hated it, I just feel like Glass Onion is a perfect example of just like, let's check off every list of every possible thing that a movie is supposed to have. And it just feels a little, or a little, it feels forced and super planned and less organic in, in almost like an in, in your face kind of way. It's almost like with Glass Onion, Ryan Johnson was saying like, hey, we got every demographic, a person, every sexuality, every this, every that. See, see, we, we, we got it all. And that's how yeah, a lot of movies that's... feel. That's not completely true, so I don't think that's really the case. I mean, huh. spoilers, Benoit Blanc being gay isn't really, you know, there's still, like, I just don't, that's just not true. There's no trans representation, there's no non-binary representation. I, well, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I think you know what I mean. Like, the black guy, I, the black woman, the this, that, I'm not, like. I know n- what you're, I know yes, what you're saying. That's all I'm saying. I know what you're saying. I just think it can sometimes be a limited worldview. And yeah, it is. Can like, I just like, I I just don't, it's not something I try to subscribe to because I just think it becomes limited and kind of makes you sort of jaded when yeah. of, of, of those three movies, I think, I had the most fun watching Glass Onion. Um, yeah, yeah, me- I, I th- yeah, yes. The, the Menu, which is a movie that came out last year, which is like, you know, it's about food, but really it isn't. 
You know, it's about like these rich people that go to an island to have this fancy meal. I think it's loosely based off of a restaurant that just closed like Numa or Noma or something like that. Mm. I don't know. It's it's not that important. But it's also really like rich people, LOL, am I right? And me and Saskia watched the movie and I just found it to be really vacuous and not really aware of itself. Really? See, I, think- I thought the opposite. And, and that's what I'm saying. I agreed with what you... Like, so the whole thing, what I said about I'm using air quotes, representation, that's one aspect of it. I think everything you're saying applies to what I'm saying also, too, where if you go to... And let me be clear, everything does not come back to Twitter, but like online discourse, movie reviews, so much of it, so much of outside of just movies, the, the, the thing is, it's like, ah, rich people suck. Like, so, and that's another aspect of what I'm talking about. It's like, hey, let's, uh, let's trash or let's kind of poke fun at rich people. Right, right, right. And, and so that's another aspect that I'm talking about too, which gets oversimplified as well, because it's like a lot of times people don't either know or don't want to admit that. So many of, let's say, the smaller films, smaller studios, movies that both you and I love or a lot of people who listen to this podcast love are funded by money from these so-called, like, rich people. You know what I'm saying? Which is why it's dangerous to, like, hey, are you just a person with a lot of money or are you a guy whose grandfather and father were rich? I think it's dangerous to go down that road of, like, all rich people are bad because to some degree a lot of us, in a, in a minute way or big way, benefit from it, so... I just wanted to clear that up. I'm not talking just the one aspect. There's like three or four or five aspects that annoy me that all these movies do. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. One can benefit from things and and also resent that they benefit from things. Sure. You know, we we don't have a choice. Like, I really have a lot of problems with Amazon for... I don't think it needs... I think it needs no introduction the mm. they but however you know they have almost a monopoly on many things and mm. they they're so inexpensive that it's hard to avoid and while i have a trouble i i really would like to to avoid amazon and whole foods i do have to use them but i'm resentful of it so i'm not going to say that all rich people are bad i sure. will say i will say I agree with some of the points you're saying. So, you know, Michael You've got nuance. You've got nuance, Scott. You know, that's. I think that's rare these days. I I think a lot of people don't, unfortunately. Or at least they give off the the vibe that they don't have a lot of nuance. But I think you're you're online a lot, and it's affecting your disposition about this thing, respectfully. No, no, I I only have to push back because my wife says that, but it's like I speak to my coworkers. I go out, I hang out with my wife's friends i hang out with my friends so i i you know i talk to my family members on the phone so and that's why i was trying to preface earlier it's like it doesn't all come back to twitter like i i'm basing a lot of this off of like real life interaction real life conversations i'm not going to totally deny that like yeah i'm on twitter but at the same time i think that twitter specifically in the realm of art and movies has transcended the app and is affecting the things that that we watch. So it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's just Twitter. It's like, sure, but that stuff is is like guiding how a lot of people direct now. The basis of movies, like there's there are literal movies that were dreamcasted that started from a thread on Twitter. There are movies that were made off of Twitter threads, Twitter arguments. So it's like there is a push and pull. There isn't ah, you're just on Twitter. It's like, well, yeah, but I see, I see things go from the app 
into real life. So that's also my 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 thing. You're not the only person who said that, but uh, you know. Right, uh, Zola, which was an A twenty four movie, was based off of a Twitter thread. Is it not? Yeah, and also the the female oceans movie. I don't know if anybody remembers. It gets forgotten about, but years ago they were just like, "Why don't we just put you know Rihanna and Mindy Kaling in in, in a heist movie?" And then it was this thread of like, "No, we need Sandra Bullock." We, and then it's like, "Look," you're, and then we got this movie. Like it's literally that movie was cast. It started on Twitter and people saw it. There's now, um, what's it called? You see, uh, shout out to him too. I, I feel bad. I forgot his name. Everything, everywhere, at all, all at once. Um, the the, short the dance. Uh, he now is. Everyone was just like, "Oh, he would be so good in Loki." And then the, one of the Russo brothers sees it and they're just like, "Well, why don't we just put him in Loki?" Which is not. I mean, be kid. That, for example, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just like again. People say stuff on Twitter, and then less than a year later, it becomes real life. You know what I mean? So it's not... I sometimes push back. Like, like I hate that Dave Chappelle says... He, he had that famous quote, Twitter's not a real place. But then in other points in his comedy, in his material, he uses Twitter as real stuff. So, And I think a lot of pe- people do that. When something doesn't benefit them, eh, it's just Twitter, it's not real. When they want to prove a point, same people... We'll go. Well, look how viral it went on Twitter. Look how many likes. Look how many of this. So it's like you can't go back. And I, I'm of the I'm of the belief that when something manifests from Twitter outside of it, you can't just fall back on. Eh, it's just Twitter. I I think it it's very more than ever. It, it's a very effective thing, especially now that Mr. But, Person here has has purchased it and it's become a whole other thing. But anyway. But who's denying? I'm not denying that Twitter affects no, culture. I, I, I'm. I'm, resp- I'm I, you said something that rem- that kind of brought up what other people have said. I'm. I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm saying that. I'm saying that as someone who you've been pathologically online. Yeah. M- since I met you, that's not an insult. It's a statement. No, yeah, yeah. We 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 connected. We became close friends through our connection online. You have a website pinland empire which has been going for what 15 years 13 but 13 you know, years we'll get to 15 but you know right, right. now we're on, we're on just year saying. 13 yeah right and then you and i being twitter friends is how we connected to start this podcast because amongst other things i didn't have your phone number i just would see you on twitter sometimes i'm not denying yeah. that twitter is an important framework but yeah it's yeah, yeah. it's a tool and I just, I don't, and I, don't get me wrong, I have tremendous issue, especially, I think Netflix is the most guilty of this, of making algorithm films, films based based off of the aggregate, looking at the data, looking at what people watch, and then making movies. I, Netflix films, 90% of them are ephemeral, and aside from, you know, Pretty much like actually, because even Noah Baumbach, who's made his like past five movies on um, Netflix, I still like, you know, there's auteurs or like fancy directors that are working on Netflix. I mean, there's Copenhagen Cowboy. It's not that they're not doing good things. Yeah. It's just that they make a lot of algorithm films. And and though Amazon makes algorithm stuff, too, and I'm sure Hulu does as well, it's 
they don't have the data that Netflix has. I mean, yeah, Netflix yeah, could right. sell its data to a government and it would be useful information. They have information that is priceless, which is why they almost never reveal it. And it's funny that, yeah, as you were saying earlier, that uh, capitalism is willing to make fun of capitalism to make money. That's always been the case. If you listen to the sister podcast, Popcorn Eschaton with John Arminio, that's also on this feed, mm-hmm. we talk about in an episode that'll come out in the future about how Michael Moore was like benefiting from capitalism, making fun, making movies. I think, isn't Miramax connected to Fox or something? Or wasn't it in some I way? I don't know. I, I don't remember, but I remember that Michael Moore was making movies that were making fun of and poking fun at things connected to the the companies that made the movie, but because they made money, people were okay with it. So Netflix is one of the most popular companies in the world. They're, you know, if someone has one streaming service, it's either Netflix or they're using their cousin's Netflix. Mm. Almost everyone I know has Netflix. Some people have the other stuff, you know. Netflix came with the fancy TV we bought. There's a Netflix button on our on our remote control that takes us right to the app on our fancy TV. Um, I'm just saying it's you know? it's yeah. it's part of the it's part of the culture, and more people have it than don't. Yeah. And what I what I'm trying to get to, in a very zebra's way, meandering way, is that Glass Onion. If you haven't seen it, one of the cruxes of it is they're saying that Elon Musk is an idiot. Yeah, right. So it's like this billionaire, billion-dollar company making fun of someone who was the richest man on earth. But since Elon Musk bought Twitter, he's not been doing great. Yeah, which which I just think shows one of the things that the movie posits that Elon Musk might not be as smart as you think he is. Um, yeah. which which I was cool with. Again, of of the three movies we're talking about, Triangle of Sadness. Uh, the menu and glass onion and this isn't even the main movie we'll probably be talking about this episode but this is what zebra does son hi doug you ever smoke pcp not yet it's coming Uh, i love i love that sort of attitude and i let me focus on this because i i do have some things i missed you man i mean i talk to you every day but i don't talk to you like this yeah i know um but there Glass Onion was the one that I I enjoyed the most as a full thing, but I I wouldn't I'd probably never watch it again. Same. I, I hope they I hope they make more Benoit Blanc movies because I think I think the world is better with with murder mysteries. I like murder mysteries. Yeah, much... I mean th- th- this was a movie like you were saying you were watching Saskia. I watched this movie with Tam. We never looked at our phones once. It was just one of those things. But like you just said, I'm probably never going to watch it again. But it was the same with Knives Out. I saw Knives Out at Toronto before it really came out in a full theater. And it was one of those, oh, this is fun. Then when it was over, it's like, I don't need to see it again. Um, right. I, and all, we're, all we're, of these, oh, sorry, all of these movies are, are pretty much poking fun at rich people. And while yeah. there's different levels of rich. So you're saying not all rich people are bad. Yeah. Yeah. My issue isn't with people that have a million dollars. I don't even know if people that have a million dollars are considered rich. You know what I mean? That's I a mean, very good point. If you're in Ohio, yeah. maybe. You're living if like you're a in, king. 
if you're in New York City, probably not. Yeah. My my issue is with the five percent mm. because they effectively can control the discourse of the world. Yeah. Billionaires and in America with lobbying and oligarchies, rich people can effect effectively control laws, control culture, control news. You know, there was a time where you know, rich people would just stop news items coming out about them. It's it's harder to do, but it still happens. Yeah. You know, there's there's media people that own news companies. So it's just like whatever. Right. I think I think of the three movies, I think Triangle of Sadness had better parts. Yeah, I was going to get to that. I I I was funny. I feel like with 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 the I'm just going to say the the Soderbergh treatment, that could have been an 80-minute masterpiece. With the right snips, and I'm talking a big, ch- I'm I'm, t- I'm talking literally the last fifty minutes to an hour. Uh, take out this, even though it was kind of funny, curvy enthusiasm. Like take out the whole argument over the credit card. Just that opening scene with the models, because I thought that was very funny. Um, and then I think Oslin really gets a, a, a lane of my sense of humor. Go right to the ship, and then just as the Somali pirates, spoiler alert, just as Somali pirates coming into frame, and the grenade goes off credits i think that would have been such a like oh shit you know what i mean like wait really like i i I just like the thought of it the movie ending like that where they have this shit throw up fest and then the next morning the vibe is like ah we made it through and then nope all this crazy shit happens it's about to happen and the movie ends i i i I like that That, but that's just me he has he has if you've seen force majeure if you've seen the the square he, I, I think this applies to the square especially. He just goes on. He has these like these odd runtimes. These movies that are like like two hours and forty minutes is such a weird runtime. It's like go all the way, make a three plus hour movie, or just make a damn eighty something minute mo- mo- movie. I just have these like semi long movies are so weird to to to, to me. It's usually you could have just added, could have beefed it up a little bit and had this long dense masterpiece or a short dense masterpiece but these weird run times you know I, I don't know to pivot a little bit mm-hmm. do you think that A24 has really infiltrated culture in the way where I think we're pretty close to A24 being its own genre of movies where someone where um, a movie like Little Miss Sunshine made people start calling films indie movies whether they were independent or not yeah 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 um yes i I do now again within a lane like i feel like if you ask like my uncle chip or like you know my my co-worker robert like hey you know a24 movies they'd be like what but if 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 you're even if one foot is in the pool of cinema you'll know what that is so within a certain realm yes i absolutely think what 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 you just said yes because I've definitely started, I've started to see movies where I'm like, oh, this is this is is this an A24 film? And then that, and then the logo flashes, and it's like, ah, that's what I. Thought. Oh yeah, for the most part, it ha- I haven't been wrong. I haven't like but, seen right, a movie right. exactly. that's. But A24 is definitely becoming its own market, and now that they've started, they've I think their their physical media is really good. That that hipster aesthetic, the way like their DVDs mm. are awesome. The yeah. the Green Knight looks it's so good. 
The, oh the, yeah. Oh, I haven't. I, I, what, what's the deal? Like, what's the package? Oh, like uh, just like it's like embossed and comes with a book, and it's just like that they're makes sense. they're That's they're cool. even they're 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 starting to you know do like the criterion thing and of course the criterion thing is also something that you know isn't beholden to criterion yeah however it's it's a it's an ideal of physical media that is presented in a nice way where where you're like proud of your collection and sure you know criterion as far as i don't think makes i don't think they make their own movies right no, no, they've 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 never they've they've had the closest is they have like they have a deal with IFC Films, so like certain new movies immediately come under that umbrella. But in terms of like Criterion Studio, no, right. But so, you know, in fairness, they could have a little option because for those you know back when physical well it still is, but when it was you know I'm talking between like 2004 through like I don't know 2010 or 11, I was into buying Criterions. And I was big into the special features and like the little like a lot of 30 minute documentaries that they make are, are really good. The little like supplemental stuff like and I think it's cool that on the channel they make I mean, wh- why wouldn't they? That's what makes Criterion Criterion is a supplemental material. But for those of you that, you know, sometimes are like, oh, what's the point of a special bonus features? But Criterion really does a good job. And I, I think maybe that's the closest they come to being a studio is like their little. EPKs or mini documentaries or interviews and whatnot. They 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 do a good job on that. So they really do. Yeah. And they they you know they just they're they're really good at it and it's and I'm glad that there's still people that care about movies the way that we care about movies. Yeah. Be, because I think the pandemic made a lot of people go out to the movies a lot less. Mm, yeah. Though some people probably watch more movies because because of the pandemic, just they weren't going to the theater, which, you know, certain movies that I've seen that I have seen since this whole thing in, in my house is just is just not the same. Yeah, that's why, you know, I was hopeful at first for a lot of smaller mid even up to mid budget filmmakers during that first wave of of the pandemic because you know i watched everything like if if you go to pinland empire if you go to my 2020 year-end review it's quite possibly the most concise because not only was i home but for the well after the first month but for five and a half months out of the pandemic i was unemployed so i was going extra ham on watching movies and there were millions of people in my position even like casual movie fans or non-movie fans are like well i'm home you can get up in the morning, apply for jobs, but that shit only goes, what, 90 minutes, two hours, and then what? And then it's just like you're chilling at home watching stuff. So I remember thinking, oh, well, a lot of these indie theaters have these weird, like, six-day or 13-day runs with movies, and it gets to a point where, like, what's the point of that? Whereas now, you can go straight from the Kino side or the Oscilloscope side or, or, or straight to a streaming service, and they can make a decent amount of money if it just goes there, and, and then like you were saying earlier, or alluding to earlier, eh, what constitutes a film now, like, it's just a thing that anyone can watch, you, you know what I'm saying? But now, I'm a little less hopeful between, now that movies are back, it's almost like, not even back to the way they were, it's just like, I hate to, to kick a dead horse and, and sound like that guy, but it really is like, 
Top Gun and Avatar, things like that, are an exception. But even are they? Because movies like that were always set to do well. But it's just like the big budget movies are going to be fine for the most part. There's for the most part. But now these mid budget, small budget movies just aren't really surviving. But I got to give credit to my, my my friend Chris Funderburg and this almost alley oops back to you again, Scott. Where it's just like some of these movies aren't good. So it's like. I get it, you're going to complain about Marvel and other big budget movies taking over, but at the same time, it's like, are you making anything good worth fighting for? And it's like, in some cases, yeah, but I feel like it's not a lot. You see, it, it gets complicated. You, you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. You know, I I think, I know some good movies were made last year, Yeah. but I didn't see a lot of them. Access yeah. is an issue. In Baltimore... We have I there's there are some cool theaters here. There's a theater that I go to, the Charles, mm. which has many of the expected indie films. You know, I mm. yeah, but they don't have some of the deeper cuts. Mm. So, uh, sorry, what was the last Johanna Joanna Hogg movie called? Uh, the Eternal Daughter. Right, The Eternal Daughter, which I really wanted to see in the theaters just wasn't playing anywhere except for New York City and LA. Yeah, and you know so, I got to add to that it's it's real quick. That movie, un, you know, to some degree, no disrespect, unlike her previous films, The Eternal Daughter truly is a cinematic experience. It is a big screen experience. And and I I I think sometimes smaller films get this kind of unfair stigma of Hey, you can just watch it on your phone. Just watch it on a laptop. But some of these smaller movies, indie, art house, whatever term you want to use, are big. They are meant to be seen on a big screen, and I and I think that's the part where things where they suffer. So anyway, right. And it's just I really enjoy seeing movies in the theater, and it's just harder to do once you get out of these big coastal entertainment hubs yeah you know if you if you live in certain areas you're not going to be able to see some of these movies and if they're not easily accessible on netflix or amazon or whatever you might you might not get to see it there might not be i know so many people that if it's not on a streamer if they have to pay it's not going to happen yep yeah but even you know, I think you you can rent some of these movies when they come out, and you're like, oh, it's twenty dollars. It's so expensive. I'm like, well, if you go to a bar, you're not leaving a bar without spending thirty bucks. Fair enough. You know, you you can watch a movie with someone you love, put on a movie, have some popcorn. Twenty bucks, it's a steal. Yeah, I agree. You know, and you can look at it like that, and so I guess. Oh, did you see the whale? I did. So that's an A24 film. Yeah, it is. Directed by Manhattan Beach alum, Darren yeah. Aronofsky. Yeah. It's it's his most recent movie since the, the very Mother. hipster film Mother, which, you is know. Is that hipster? I, I'm, I'm, wondering that, I'm wondering if that word's getting 
out of hand? Like when you, because you've said that, like what makes Mother a hipster? I'm just curious. I agree so, with the A24 assessment of hipster, but specifically Mother, what what is that? So What's I wouldn't that? call Mother the film hipster. I'm saying that the people that like that movie tend to be more of the hipster demographic, because there are that is true. you know. Or so much so that because the hipster thing is cynicism. So I think, okay, so fair enough, because a lot of people's response to Mother was kind of like, so wait, so did you like it or not? There there was a very hipster response to that movie where I don't know if people liked or disliked it. Like that that, that movie was very memified, which is a very hipster thing to do. So, okay, touche. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. But, you know, Darren Aronofsky, since he started making movies, has been making movies that are not easy. Okay. I mean, like, Pi was good, but it was not easy. It's black and white. It's pretty upsetting. Requiem for a Dream, if I never see it again, I'll be fine. Right. You know, then, he, then, then after that, you know, he made The Fountain, which is like this Hugh Jackman, like, time travel movie. Which I did enjoy, but I wouldn't say... I don't know if I would say it's a good movie. I'd say that most people think that it isn't. The Wrestler, which which I know many people love. Black Swan, which I thought was fantastic. Mm. And then he has these next three movies. Noah, which was a mess. Yeah, it was. An absolute fucking mess. I liked just from it. The tr- just from the trailer, I remember going, oh no. I liked it from like a this is a disaster sort of thing. I was right. like, what is going on? Because yeah, also like nice with a, Noah's nice with a bow staff and like martial arts. I remember that part to like, what? what? It was just, yeah. yeah. Was I weird. find interpretations of the Bible to be wild because the Bible as a literary book or holy book or whatever has mm-hmm. some stories where you're like, whoa. So the story yeah. of Noah and the Ark is like a weird story and the movie was interesting, but it was a mess. Yeah. Mother was a mess. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Like, uh, what what did someone say? Someone said that it's like the shining from the point of view of the maze. Ha, that's funny. That's what someone said. I I was like, oh, okay, I'm cool with that. You know, but then, you know, for some reason, we've always been like, when the whale comes out, we're going to do an episode about it and talk about it. I don't remember why it came out. I I think I know when the when the film was still in its earlier forms, it was getting a lot of controversy because it's essentially about it's basically the same plot as leaving Las Vegas. But instead of alcoholism, it's it's food yes. where Brendan Fraser plays a man who's who's basically eating himself to death. Yes. And. Some people were like, that's that's offensive. And I, I see it. It, do, it doesn't, you know, well, I'll get to it. it you know, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's essentially about this man who is a teacher in a very religious area who teaches like literature, literature yeah. on Zoom, but yeah. like doesn't show his camera. And he has one friend and he... He's gay and his partner is no longer around. And it's essentially, well, it is a play. It's based off of a play. And it reads like a play. Right down to the cast, because there's only literally a handful of cast members, you know? Yeah, it's not one of those movies where there's there's 
I think there's probably, I don't know, six people in the movie. Six or seven, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the people, there's the Zoom class, but I don't, yeah, that hard. Yeah, no. yeah. But like, as far as characters, you know, there's Brendan Fraser, Sadie Sink, Hong Chow, Ty Simpkins, Samantha Morton, who I was really happy to Shows see. Up. Oh, hell yeah, 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 yeah. And, and this, and a pizza delivery guy. Right. I mean, I was so happy to see Samantha Morton. Yeah. Because I, I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought of her in a long time. And I didn't realize that she was just like, she'd been doing her thing. Yeah, you know she shows saying? up in a lot of stuff. It's her just, I'm not, we're not going to go off on a crazy tangent, but she, unlike, I'm not going to turn this into a gender war, but like, unlike her male actor counterparts, she is famous for being, you know, method or just taking her craft serious. And after a certain point, it was like directors didn't want to deal with her because they just like, oh, she's difficult. But then at the same no, that's, time, it's like, that's it's like, totally a gender huh? thing. That's yeah, a- no, I no, yes, you're right. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, you have like Jared Leto doing what he does on set or even a guy who I, I you know, I appreciate Daniel Day-Lewis. But then at the same time, it's just like we're just acting, you know, like so, so many people, you know, De Niro in his heyday. It, it's so romanticized when guys like really commit to the role. But when a woman does, it's like, uh, you know, oh, she's being a, a B word or something, which is what which is a quote that she I'm not misquoting. She. If you get the um, anyone who has the DVD of Morvan Keller, which is a great movie, by the way, she talks about how because that was just coming off of she's a multi-time Academy Award nominated actress for Woody Allen's uh, Sweet and Lowdown, and then for I think the movie's called In America. Um, oh, so yeah. there was like a, a sliver in time where she was like one of the top actresses, and then by two thousand three, two thousand four, we started seeing her less and less and less, and then. She gave some insight as to why that might be, and it's like, yeah, it makes sense. It's sad, but anyway, but yeah, it was it was nice to see her show up in this film. Yeah, and she plays the main character's uh, ex-wife. Yeah, because they have a kid who yeah. he basically is like he realizes that he's he's doesn't have a lot of time left in the world. I mean, he's he's like 600 pounds, and that is can be a challenging weight to sustain. Yeah, very much so. so. And they, if they they do not hold any punches with it, he's they're showing the challenges of it. They're showing he's there's some there's nudity. It's in it's intense. Yeah, it, it, there's uh, masturbation. There's yep stuff you, you know what i'm saying um yeah it's it, you know it's funny and you were talked earlier you were saying how some people found it offensive and i'll take it a step further i think it was certain overweight folks that found it offensive and you know for a second myself because i've look i've never been 600 pounds but when you think about it, it's like i wasn't far off before my kidney transplant I, I was 400 i was close to 400 pounds and to be honest i probably was it's just when you're weighed and whatnot i was in the 390s so probably th- th- there was a sliver in time when i when i was even you know 400 pounds but I talked, and, and I'm not speaking out of turn when I say this. Our former guest of the show, friend in real life, Rob Cotto, who, by the way, has recently lost up to 80 pounds uh, as of a few days ago, so he, he's doing great. He has always been open and vocal about this kind of stuff, especially on film, and he detested the movie. Um, 
And I get why. And for one second, before the movie ended, I was like, I don't like this. But then I realized, well, there are people where overeating is a trauma response. And that's all that Aronofsky is trying to focus on. I think sometimes, and this is bigger than The Whale, people see an avenue and they think the filmmaker is trying to generalize everything. And that's not the case. Like, I thought about myself. Like, there were certain people that I used to be close to in life, I no longer am, who used to just fight with me. They're just like, why did you weigh so much? Why did you, like, something had to have been wrong. And it's like, no, I just was careless. I was a stupid person. I was just, when it came to that, I just liked food and I didn't think about it. You, you could at least connect it to, yeah, an addictive personality, but it wasn't a response to trauma in life. Like, I liked my life. I just ate a lot and I did it carelessly. Like, sometimes it just boils down to that. But I don't think that my that story had anything to do with the whale. And I think, unfortunately, some folks, you know, when you have a specific story like the whale, certain people that have a sliver of relation to it want to make it about them. And then it's like, this isn't what it's like. And yeah, so. So this is what I'll say. I'm going to say a couple things. So as a movie, I thought it was okay. I thought, Mm. I thought, but to to go back to something, but I'll get there, is that, yeah, the film the film presents as a play. One, it's based off of a play. And two, it's a character study. It only exists in a house. You never really leave the house aside from, like, a dream sequence. Yeah. So it, it's a play. And it's and it's played like a play. The, it, has, it has a lot of dialogue. And it has everyone in the movie does a good job acting. Yes. Yes. That's that's without a doubt. So, as a movie, I don't know. It's like three out of five stars. It's it's mm. it's honestly a very empty script that doesn't know what its morals are. And if we're to assume what the morals are, they're they're kind of vacuous. Mm. However, what I'll say is someone someone like you where I used I was I wasn't 400 pounds but I was over 300 pounds and I'm I'm not that anymore and you know people people are beautiful at every size you know there are some people who are who are what are who are big that aren't unhealthy but I was not healthy and yeah there for me some of my eating was a response. It was, it was a thing. Uh, mm. It was pathological. Mm. The movie didn't offend me, though there were some scenes that I related to uncomfortably. Mm. There are some things that Brendan Fraser did as an actor, some choices and decisions he made, which made me very uncomfortable. I thought, but I mean, I think it goes without saying that his performance was fantastic I I actually don't think that he'll win any major awards because I think that I don't I just I just don't see it like he didn't win the Golden Globe I don't think he's going to win the Oscar because I think people are uncomfortable with with yeah. how he looks and I could imagine that if you were morbidly obese it's not great to see some of that and. Mm. Again, they they play it very unHollywoodized. You know, there's a lot of sweat, there's yeah. a lot of messiness. Yeah. But one thing that I thought they did really well was, or something that made me very uncomfortable, is what happens when he does eat. 
there's scenes where he's given food and yep. then he like becomes mesmerized. Mm-hmm. And I thought they played that really well. Interesting. And, but though I, yeah, what was Darren Aronofsky trying to say? Why is this the movie that he wanted to make for so long? What is the moral of the story? The, the main character is someone who lost everything you know cuz he was he he was married but he was closeted mm-hmm. and he left his wife for for a student of his and spoilers his student basically starved himself to death yeah and and the 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 nurse who's coming to take care of him help him out is is the brother of this character and of and her her sister, acting sister sister the, the sorry yeah right he's the brother she's the sister yeah. her performance is equally as good as Brendan Fraser's mm. I thought she was outstanding I thought the acting was very good there's no yeah. trouble with the acting yeah and there's this missionary who's coming by and then there's the pizza delivery man and again I thought the acting was top notch I thought the cinematography was good I don't you know, as a form of media, it was fine. I wasn't deeply activated by it, though I could see how people who were of a certain size or are currently of a certain size being made uncomfortable by it. If, you know, Rob Cotto detested the film, I get it. Because also, again, what is the moral of the story? That you can... I don't know. I feel like this is one of those movies where... Man, like a really, in terms of like written stuff or the dialogue that we're having right now, like just assessment of this movie could be super basic, like 11th grade breakdown of it to like a really good kind of like Armin White. Yes, I'm giving Armin White some props, like Armin White written piece. But like, so for example, just like the point you brought up, his lover that he is, you know, he hasn't, you know, recovered from the loss starved himself to death so he's overeating oh to compensate maybe he thinks the more he eats the more he's eating for his lover that starved himself to death and he'll bring him back or something like that. you know I'm like there's all so many kind of uh, assessments you know to to, to 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 the movie whether it's the symbolism here and the the reverse psychology here and blah 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 but um but at the end of the day when you asked that what was the more like I, I I don't know or just or it's just a movie about trauma which I think just that, 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 that word is is starting the word, not what it actually is, is starting to get a little like I don't know. It it's becoming like it has officially become a genre. Like it's become an entertainment genre. You know what I'm saying? Um No, I don't. I don't I don't but my, I'll, I'll explain to you now more than ever, it's like it's one of those things where like since the beginning of time traumatic things happen in film all the time but now when someone's like this is a movie about trauma it just becomes like it's similar to like a lot of black films are about like black murder and black trauma and and there's just like literally when i say it's become a genre you go to netflix you go to hulu you go to hbo max and then they have these like black films to watch and it's all the movie and it's all these movies that are kind of like the same subject matter it's you know it's the hate you give it's the purge the the first purge it's this it's so it's similar to like with film now like trauma is this like selling point it's a hashtag it 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 it, it really is it's like you 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 really don't see that 
where it's like, I, yeah, it's a trauma in a movie. Like I said, it's day one, but the emphasis of it feels a little forced, feels a little unnatural. I'm not even saying it, 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 I'm not even using the whale as an example, but just in general, like when when you read reviews, when you hear people talk trauma, 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 it just becomes this. I don't. Thing. I think. I just think it's again. I think it's a very online take. I'm not saying that there aren't movies that have definitely capitalized on trauma. Yeah. You and friend of the show, Mtuma Gant, have talked about the the black trauma genre of cinema that's been very popular. Yeah. Not necessarily popular, but rampant. No, no, no. It's been present. Popular. Well, that's the thing. It's been popular because they keep making these shows and movies. Uh, so it literally is popular because it, it just it hasn't gone away yet. And people are like, oh. Let's capitalize, literally capitalize off of this. And it's, it hasn't gone away in my opinion from what I'm seeing and stuff that's coming out and all that. So so for me, what I see it as is that I believe that we're just becoming more literate of crappy shit we've been living through. So mm. I don't think movies are that much more about trauma now. Than they no, have ever that. been. I said, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're using the word more because we're more aware of it. We're we're a society that's starting to realize that we've tolerated shit that we didn't need to tolerate. That the world has changed. That things that we thought were just like ah, oh, I got to white knuckle it were like trauma responses or trauma or you know realizing like oh maybe maybe I had a really bad childhood that I didn't even think about. You know, you'll see comedians talk about, you know, when they were hit by their parents and they turn it into a funny thing when it's like, that's a trauma response, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. So when when someone's like, oh, it's a movie about trauma, yada, yada. I'm like, what most, what, what movies aren't? You know, you're repeating what I said. I, I, it's just, I guess ultimately what I have to say is it just... In some case, not every case, of course, because some stuff handling it's just it does feel unnatural, not across the board, but it feels very planned and and facade like very like on the feels very surface in some cases, not necessarily the whale. Um, but we're now offshoot, you know, it was just something you said that just reminded me of, of it. It's just, it, it, it does. I, yeah, I, I, that was what I, I made sure to say that, that like, yeah, since the beginning of time, there's like, I don't know, you want to go to, it's not obviously the first film, but Birth of a Nation, there's traumatic shit in that movie. Trauma. You, you know what I'm saying? I just think now it is, it has become a, it's a, it's a sell, selling point. And if it's an online take, fine, but the internet and online is, is a big thing and a big uh it guides stuff and it it, it it does move the needle offline so well if you want to say that that the whale is about religious trauma and guilt i don't know that i would disagree with you yeah i i get you know what i'm saying so you saying that it's almost like it's about religious trauma and guilt okay let, let let's let's i guess what i and this is personal. This isn't the rest of the world's issue. I'm speaking for myself. Then fine. Let, let, let's let's really go deep and let's not like have, a you know, say a couple of sentences. I'm not saying we need to do that now, but it's just like, why is that? And then why? And then why? And then why? And then why? Because that is a big part of trauma. Just like, well, peel that layer back. 
Peel this layer back. Peel this layer back. Also, and to some and 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 to bring it back to the whale, this does kind of go to what I'm about to say is that there is un- unfortunately, I say this unfortunately, there isn't always healing from the trauma. You you could figure you could get to the you could not necessarily always get to the layer that you're trying to get to, get to the depth that you're trying to get to, and then you might not get there in time, or you could get there, and you, it still doesn't feel resolved. You're still affected, and there's still things, but there also is growth in that, too. It's like, I'm never going to, I'm using air quotes, to get over this thing, but at least I understand it, so it's not as nice and simple as I think some films and some takes make certain things out to be, and that's part of my issue and part of my worry, too, but again... That's just Marcus's thing. Right, but I'm willing to say that, you know, how is this movie about religious trauma and guilt? And while the main character is not religious, but lives in in an area that's affected by, like, the New Life Church, which is, is, you know, an evangelical church, and his partner, lover, was part of the church, and mm-hmm. loved the church and loved the Bible. There's a scene where you find his old Bible and you can see that he highlighted things like he religion was really important to him and he was cast aside mm-hmm. for who he was and made to feel guilty and made to feel other mm-hmm. and and that that sort of started the the ripple in the water that leads to everything that happens in the movie. Yeah. So his religious guilt turns into trauma, traumatizes his partner. His partner has a opposite response where instead of starving himself, he eats himself. He eats until it's no longer tenable. And is so that is a religious trauma and the guilt that he's facing because as he's realizing what is happening, he wants to reconnect with his daughter, who he hasn't seen since she was a kid, who is not a she's like a very troubled kid. She's yeah. not like a she's not like a nice kid. You know, and this is a Darren Aronofsky movie, so you know you know going in that he's not gonna decide to lose weight or get healthy. Right. You know, yeah. this this is in for him, uh, an irreversible process. Yeah. And he's trying to connect with his daughter who's mad with him, mad at him, and she's mad at the world. She's a troubled kid. Sure, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it, it, that's how I could explain how it's about guilt and religiosity and, yeah, religious trauma. And he just wants to before he leaves the world wants to see that there's something that wasn't a complete failure in his life. Yeah. That, you know, his daughter and he's very generous to her, even though she's not very nice to him. Yeah. And one thing that connects the movie and, you know, some people were like, Oh, is it called the whale? Cause he's a big guy. Cause that's not very nice. Yeah. 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 I remember before it came out, that was a, a big discussion, yeah. And whether I'm sure Darren Aronofsky is cognizant of that connection, but it's about Moby Dick. Yeah. And one of the connecting threads is this essay about Moby Dick. Yep. That sort of 
connects the the movie and gets you to it. And I will say that the whale and the wrestler have a very similar form. Uh, absolutely. From the again, you know, in the wrestler, his daughter is angry at her father and the world to, to some degree. Um, a little older, but still, it, it's that same relation. Even to some degree, it's like the ending is kind. Of, you know, like there, there's yeah. No, the ending is so. it's the same. The ending is yeah, 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 is yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the it's all not shot for shot, but no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's like I mean, if you've gotten this far, you probably have seen the movie. But spoilers, it's someone trying for a last piece of glory before probably passing away. Which is the end of Black Swan, also. You know what I mean? And yeah. So, but all directors do this. The directors have, a, and it's not just anyone who makes art has not, not everyone, but I, I think most. And this isn't a criticism. I actually like it. Have a, a, a bag of things that they return to because they want to. Like, oh, I did this ten years ago. Maybe I could do it a different way, or I feel I could have done this better, so I'm going to do it with this. Because, you know, since the beginning of time, p- painters did this, whether you're Edward Monk or Van Gogh or whoever. Like, there's a lot of the same things that show up in their art, because it's probably like, ah, or, or they'll redo the same painting and just call it something, something, n- n- number two, or this variation, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, I like that. I, I actually like when filmmakers do that, usually. So. And I just thought of a cool, interesting connection to between the glass onion and the whale. What's that? Is that Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. but the the guy who played Benoit Blanc, mm-hmm. is married to Rachel Weiss, who yeah. was married to Darren Aronofsky, yeah. and was in the Mummy with with Brendan Fraser. With Brendan and Fraser, also was was in the Fountain as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. Yeah. That's my little connection. Um, sure. Yeah, what is what is Darren Aronofsky's like? He's really he's really into trauma and pain. What's up sure. with that? I don't know. It's uh, I mean, look, I I, I had a um, I was I was uh, bringing him up again. My, my friend Chris, we were at a diner, and I was telling him, it's like you know, I feel like at this point. The most radical film to make is, and and, and I'm I'm over some. I, I don't want to. Don't I think so, anyone who has understands what I'm trying to say. Make a movie about like you know a nice family, and the, and and when I and I guess what I was trying when you have a nice fit like I love my parents, I love my life, I love my up, upbringing, my my childhood, everything. No, there were certain things that maybe I didn't like. I got into arguments with my dad sometimes, and my mom. I didn't like the way they handled certain things. But the say at the end of the day, it's like. I wouldn't want to go back and redo anything over. I regret nothing. It would be nice to do a movie about like a nice family. It would it would almost be. It, it's such a radical act. Um, you, you know what I'm saying? I, th- I think that'd be that 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 would be an interesting uh, thing. Because w- what would you categorize it as? It's not necessarily a drama, although it would probably fall into the drama thing. But just like. I, I think too, and this, and for those of you, because this has come up a lot, this has nothing to do with an online take. This is so many people I've met in real life who there's this want to have trauma. There's this want to play into this like 
oh, families, they mess us up. Oh, mom, dad, issue. And it's just like, I. and then you meet them, you get close to them, and it's just like, your life wasn't like that. And it's just kind of like, I think pe- people just gravitate towards drama more or they want dysfunction more versus like, it's okay to, like, life was good. And I think people oversimplify it. Like, I, I coming growing up, I had a good life. But there were obstacles, there were challenges, there were certain bad things that happened, and I think some folks lose nuance when it comes to that. I was talking to one of my childhood friends who came up and visited me. We grew up in, a, we both grew up in Amherst, which is a nice liberal college town, and we started talking about the kids who were like, essentially, I'm using air quotes, tried to be thugged out, and it was just like, Amherst isn't, like, why are you trying to do this? And I remember... I was reminiscing because I came from St. Albans, Queens to Amherst and seeing kids trying to be tough. And I just remember like, why do you want this? You know what I'm saying? Because like I just came from the back of our window getting shot up when my whole family was in it. And I come to this nice town and it's like, that is not this environment. There's like no violent crimes. There's no gun crimes in Amherst. Why are you like making finger guns? Why are you trying to be like, t- you know, like I, 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 I don't get it. But yeah, anyway, that's my little my little rant. Yeah, I just... Also, it just seems like... I don't know. Does Darren Aronofsky never... like? Are all, uh, does he ever make uncontroversial movies? Yeah, he's made uncontroversial... Well, I, I don't know. Oh, uh, maybe not. D- various levels. I feel like Black Swan wasn't controversial. That was just like a universally liked... Movie, I guess that's the closest he's got. Wasn't, to wasn't there controversy around the dancing in that movie? Not that I remember. Nah, like uh, the there. So there was someone who's like a dance double mm-hmm. in the movie, and she claimed that she was not credited with the the right amount of dancing she had done in the movie. Oh, well, oh. Then maybe Pi. I remember when Pi came out, it was like, oh, this right out of film school, this kind of shooting by the hip indie movie that was kind of, for the most part, universally loved. And people who didn't like Pi, it wasn't a controversial dislike. It was just like, I don't like this movie. And that was it. You know what I'm saying? So I guess his first film is, is, is the closest he's gotten to non-controversial. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. Did you think this movie was like very A24? Because I did not. Kind of. Kind of. In in, 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 in parts I did. Yes. But in I what, think... In what I, ways? You know what? I, I take that back. I'm going to say in the way that it was marketed. So I, I guess that's not fair. But the movie itself, no. Because, well, I don't know. In, in, a, in a roundabout way, a lot of A24 films do have smaller budgets. They do rely on smaller casts. Uh, singular settings, you know, like look, look at something like The Witch, you know what I'm saying that mostly took place in a cabin and when it went outside of the cabin, it was just the land that they lived on, so little things like that, you know, or her- Hereditary, Hereditary for the majority of the movie took place on this, like, one place and the flashbacks were only w- within inside one house, so little things like that, but at the same time that has nothing to do with A24, before A24 was even a thought, there were smaller singular set based film so i guess i take back the movie itself the, the marketing was very a24-esque but what do you expect a24 is going to market the way a24 is so hereditary was ari aster right yes who has a new movie coming out with joaquin phoenix uh this year oh 
Does it? Is yeah. It, does it look good? I, I'm not the person to ask. I, I don't like his movies. It's another uh, families. They mess us up, man. <laughs> it's it's another one of those kind of movies. I I, I just don't have interest in that stuff. Yeah, I, really I didn't don't. really. I we saw Hereditary together. <laughs> oh shit, we did it the same. Th- yeah, yeah. Um and. I just don't really like horror movies. So even though like I do find the genre of trauma horror or loss horror or bereavement horror to be the genre that I can connect with the most. Right. Neither Hereditary or Midsummer did it for me. Same. Same. That's my thought. Um, do you have any closing thoughts about The Whale or... Some ideas of um, of what uh, our next conversation should be. See it. Um, as oh, probably, talk, I'd like to I'd like to expand more on this kind of like menu glass onion uh, triangle of sadness talk because there was stuff we didn't even get to. Just how there's this theme. Again, it's something that's existed since the beginning of time, but I think in the last decade, less in the last decade. It's been so venomous and so obvious where it's kind of like, I get it, but this is corny, where the filmmaker makes a movie where it's like, we're going to murder the critic. And it's like, all right. Like, like that's my response to that kind of stuff. Like, oh, boy. But um, there's a lot to talk about. Because I don't, if, do you remember 2014, where it was like Chef, Birdman, Mr. Turner? Those are all three big movies that year. And they all had this through line of like, ah, we hate critics. This is, critics suck. Um... And I understand why a filmmaker would do that because even though I've never made a film, I know what it's like to put your heart into something and to have someone who doesn't do that thing go, ah, this sucks, and that's it. It's like, well, wait a minute. You know, I, th- I think that brings up a lot of the talk of criticism, how sometimes filmmakers respond to criticism. Um, like, I think there's a whole discussion there because Ryan Johnson alone with Glass Onion, Knives Out, his experience with Star Wars, I think his last two movies were just a response to him responding to people's response to his Star Wars film. I I, I I truly do. I think Knives Out specifically, but yeah. So, there's well, stuff to talk about. Yeah, I was also realizing probably could just talk about Copenhagen Cowboy, but... let's. Oh my God, let's definitely do that. I also want to say, just because I don't... You know, earlier on, I was like, oh, I kind of like movies. In terms of older and not even movies that are that old i've recently been going back and rewatching and reassessing and falling back in love with um Coriatus films uh you know for since earlier on in this podcast i've i've loved shop shoplifters and you know i've always liked his movies but i rewatched still walking which is a movie that came out in like 2009 or 2010 and i watched it again recently i was like oh my god this guy is so great and over the pandemic i rediscovered a handful of his movies like distance Distance is one of those movies that became an instant all-time favorite of mine after one viewing. Um, so I, I've been in I've been in Coriata mode for the last few weeks. He's 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 a great filmmaker. Well, and didn't he just come up with a new one? Yes, yeah, not very good. Sorry, sorry. I, yeah, I did not like it. I'm not gonna say it's not very good. I I don't like it. But whatever. that's sort of what I've heard. But I don't know. Yeah. I I haven't seen it. It's not. Pl- I don't think it's playing near me yet. So right. Though it's on my list, I, I I really wanted. I was really looking forward to seeing women talking, but I anecdotally I heard that it's not people that I know that have seen it have not been crazy about it. 
same every every response report back from Tiff. But I love Sarah Polly. We know uh, stories we wife, tell was one of your yeah. favorite movies. It is of the and last the old, ten years. And the older I get, I I I like um, take this waltz more and more and more and more. The older I get, and my wife wants to see women talking. So, and you know, Sarah Polly was so nice to me when she met. I think as a if you want to call me a critic or whatever person with an opinion, her, you're a critic. Her meeting me at TIFF and telling me how much she loved this thing that I wrote about her, and she was like, she couldn't believe it was me, and she told me this whole thing about how one of her assistants just happened to come across the cinema of Sarah Polly thing that I wrote online, sent it to her, she loved it, and then she was like, kind of, I'm not gonna say losing her mind, but she was just like. She couldn't believe that she was standing next to the person that wrote this thing about her that she said she has bookmarked on her laptop and she loved it. And I was like, oh, my God, really? whoa. So I think that's always going to be one of my, like, bucket list thing that I didn't even know was a bucket list thing for me. So, Well, you know what? Um, do you know what my favorite, what my bookmark for your website is on my on my computer no what stories we tell oh wow that's really cool yeah because i like I to be it, yeah i'd like to be reminded of i just i like that movie and you know i look at your website from time to time i did not like take this waltz but we've talked mm. about this before yeah but i think away from her was is like one of the sadder movies i've seen it is and you know what's funny it's better than after- alice yeah, speaking of better than I when um, Haneke's Amour came out, I remember loving it at first, and then John Cribbs made this correlation between Away from Her and Amour, and he's like, it's like kind of the same movie. And I was like, oh shit, you're right, and I went back and watched Away from Her, and I appreciated that movie even more, and I like that movie even more than than Amour. Um, I <laughs> I feel like a bad person saying that's a great double feature because who the hell would want to sit through those two movies back to back, but. Those movies are forget first cousins. They are they are brothers, sisters, brother, sister. They are very close to each other. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to, you know, reconnecting with you more than every other six months. So Yeah, man. We'll 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 talk very soon. We I mean we text every day, so All right. Yeah. See you on the flip. Yeah. Do you know? Where dreams come from? Acetylcholine neurons fire high dreams come from? Do you know where dreams come from? Taco, taco, taco. A ghost of me you are. The one who did not want to live. You are never very far. As a soul lost deep in trouble, you gave my art a name. But if I did it all again, I might not do it the same. Come on. From heaven's ethers, you arrived to share my life. I instilled your death with purpose before you left me with your knife. I take it out from time to time, run my fingers down the blade. Is my fate the same as yours, or do I just simply fade? My dear, sweet Targo, my doorway into death. Alive, but not living in this play, I am your guest. I offer my whole self in honor of your life. In exchange was tricked quite well when you really don't need my friends. Oh, oh, oh. But you, my friend, had different plans for me. You stepped in out of nowhere, and now you won't let me be. I sit alone, 
On this journey of ours, caught between my earth and your stars, I sit alone. On this journey of ours, caught between my earth and your stars, I sit alone. On this journey of ours, caught between my earth and your stars, come on. I come on. Pictures. 